Um, a young police officer was taking his final exam in Hendon uh, Police Station um, in North London. Um, there were only four questions in the exam. First three were relatively straightforward. And then he came to the fourth and final question, which was considerably harder than the ones before. And I'm going to read out the um, exam question to you. You're on patrol in outer London when an explosion occurs in a gas main in a nearby street. On investigation, you find that a large hole has been blown in the footpath and that there is an overturned van lying nearby. Inside the van, there's a strong smell of alcohol. Both occupants, a man and a woman, are injured. You recognize the woman as the wife of your divisional inspector who is away in the United States. A passing motorist stops to offer you assistance, but you realize that he is a man who's wanted for armed robbery. Suddenly, another man runs out of a nearby house, shouting that his wife is expecting a baby and the shock of the explosion has made the birth imminent. Another man is crying for help, having been blown into an adjacent canal by the explosion, and he cannot swim. Bearing in mind the provisions of the Mental Health Act, describe in a few words what actions you would take. So the young police officer thought for a moment, picked up his pen and wrote the following. I would take off my uniform and mingle with the crowd. <laughs> Which, right, I mean, we instinctively just laugh out loud at, but I mean, if you were in a situation like that, would you or I react any differently? That, you know, there are times in life, there are situations that can be so overwhelming, so seemingly chaotic and outside of our control, that we just do not know what to do. In this past week alone, I've spoken with one friend who is feeling completely burnt out in ministry, as the leader of the church. Even though this church is fruitful and growing, he feels trapped and he doesn't know what to do. I've had one friend who's unexpectedly lost his job and doesn't know how he's gonna pay the mortgage. I have one friend whose daughter is having suicidal ideation and she feels completely helpless as a mother. I have another friend whose grown-up daughter is screaming at her all the time because the depression has got just such a hold on her. And this friend has feeling completely overwhelmed. Now that's just the past week. That's just some of the people I know. How about you guys? What is some of the stress you're ha you know, carrying as you come to church today? And difficulty and crisis, and perhaps you are feeling completely overwhelmed. And when we're feeling like that, this question is like, to whom do we turn? When we don't know what to do, what do, we, what do you do? We don't know. Where is hope to be found? Is there hope to be found? And I want us to see that there is always hope in the Lord. That's what this passage teaches us. We're gonna see a completely overwhelming situation, the shipwreck, the storm, and we're going to see God's great comfort and hope and promise to Paul. Helps him be steadfast, admits it all, and we can have that same steadfast today, whatever you are facing. So come with me to the passage now. Let's check it out. We'll begin in chapter 27, verses 1 to 20, this completely overwhelming situation. The danger of this, this storm. I don't have time to read back out verses 1 to 20, but let me just pick up some of the language that is used here 
um, by the author Luke to describe this journey that the Apostle Paul is on. Finally, he's on his way to Rome by sea. But listen verse to verse 7. We made slow headway for many days and had difficulty arriving off Nidus. Verse 8. We moved along the coast with difficulty. Verse 9. Much time had been lost and sailing had already become dangerous. Verse 10. Paul speaking, men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to ship and cargo and to our own lives also. They don't listen. They go on the journey anyway. Verse 14, before very long, a wind of hurricane force called the Northeaster, this is how serious it is, swept down from the island. The ship was caught in it. Verse 18, we took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. Verse 19, on the third day, it's keeping going, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands, all hands on deck. It is this serious. Verse 20, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, they can't get any directions, they're completely lost at sea, and the storm continued raging we finally gave up all hope of being saved. Now, I'm not sure if you can put yourself in the shoes of the sailors here, if you've ever been in an incredibly violent storm, but this is a situation which must have been so desperate, so overwhelming, so life-threatening. I think of all the missionary journeys Paul's been on, this is his third one, and here we are told we finally gave up all hope of being saved. We that is the author, Luke, not just giving us assurance of the historicity of this, but, but along with Paul. Paul's a great evangelist of the Gentiles. He is caught up in this as well. And all 276 of the people on board. Incredibly stressful situation. Life-threatening, overwhelming. There are some prosperity preachers out there who will tell you that if you just put your faith in Jesus Christ... You will have health, you will have wealth. That if you just have enough faith and give enough money to this number on the screen or whatnot, you will never have to worry about stresses in life or difficulties or crises. You can just go through it. This sp- I hope you never, ever get taken in by them. Or anyone that suggests that as a Christian you're going to be immune to difficulties or stresses or crises in life. Look what's happening to the Apostle Paul here. And it can happen to you and I as well. You and I live in a broken world. You and I live in a world of illnesses, natural disasters, hurricane force storms, shipwrecks, and we'll see in a moment poisonous snake bites. Don't be surprised when they come your way. Don't think something has gone wrong. Don't think God has abandoned you. Actually, what do we see here? That God is actually allowing this to happen. And it's not always the case, but sometimes here, he is allowing this to happen to bring everyone on that ship, Luke, Paul, all the non-Christians on their way, to the end of themselves, to the end of any trust in themselves, such that they finally give up all hope of being saved. They've thrown the cargo overboard, it's not worked. They've thrown the ship's tackle overboard, it's not worked. There is absolutely nothing else they can do. They cannot risk it, they cannot save themselves. They have given up all hope. And here's the thing when you give up all hope in yourself or you're brought to an end of yourself, it gives you an opportunity to look elsewhere. To try and look for help out of yourself. 
Alcoholics Anonymous, one of the most successful programs for setting people free from, well, the overwhelming situation of addiction, set up by two Christians you might not know. You probably know of the 12 steps. Here are the first two. We admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. Step one, completely powerless. No strength in ourselves to change. Step two, once you've done step one, step two, we came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Sometimes the Lord will bring you to an end of yourself, an end of trusting in yourself, but only so that he draws you back to him. So that you start trusting in him, sometimes he'll make you show that you don't have strength in yourself, so you start trusting in his strength. Could God be allowing stress, difficulty, crisis, an overwhelming situation in your life right now to bring you to an end of yourself and your own willpower and your own ingenuity. Perhaps you failed something for the first time. Perhaps as in the you think, no, I But actually through it, he's drawing you back to him, to a deeper trust in him and his power and his strength, which is like no other. And that's what we see played out in then in verses 21 to 38 with this anchor in the storm. This is the second thing to see. Let me reread verses 22 to 25. So they've all come to the all hope of being saved. And then Paul addresses everyone on board the ship. I'll pick it up in verse 22. But now I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Now how's Paul suddenly got this confidence and this steadfastness and this poison, composure? Well, verse 23. Last night, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. Remember that promise back in chapter 23? Still true, I'll still keep it. You must stand trial. And God has graciously given you the lives of all who will sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Why does God bring us to the end of trusting in ourselves, the end of ourselves, so that we may trust in him, so we may put our faith in God just as he has told us? Faith in God, the only one who can truly help. God, the one true anchor in whatever storm you are facing, the one anchor that will never fail you, never let you down. John Newton began his career as a sailor on board um, his father's merchant ship. John John Newton, who famously wrote the words, Amazing Grace. Um, This merchant ship would travel in the very same waters of the Mediterranean described uh, here. On 10th of May, 1748, he captained a ship struck by a great storm uh, off the coast of, of Africa, and he wrote of his experience as he penned the words, Amazing Grace. Perhaps with this in mind, I don't know. But part of those words, you, you might well know them, through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace grace of the living God with me has brought me safe thus far and grace will bring me home no matter the toils the snares the difficulties the stresses the crises that keep on coming God is there God is with me he will bring me home in other words when crisis hits 
when we don't know what to do, we don't know where to turn, when we're feeling completely overwhelmed, when we're brought to the end of ourselves, to whom do we turn? And this passage is encouraged, turn to the Lord. Turn to the one who promises to be with you, no matter what you are facing, who will never leave you or forsake you, Turn to the one who always speaks words of encouragement to you. Whatever you are facing, do not be afraid. I am here. I have got you. Turn to the one who is the creator of the universe, who holds every droplet of water of the sea in his hand, such that the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, can calm the storm with just a word, should he wish. And if he doesn't and wants to take you through the storm, such is God's loving care, such is his attention to details of the lives of his people. You get that promise down in verse 34 that not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. I mean, this is the anchor we all need in the storms of life. The anchor of the living God. Is he your anchor? Now, right now? Are you trusting in him today? Let's put our trust in him. Notice in verse 30 that some of the sailors don't, right? Even though Paul's told them what to do, they're still trying to trust in themselves. And in verse 30, we read, in an attempt to escape from the ship, the sailors let the lifeboat down into the sea, pretending they were going to lower some anchors from the bow. Then Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. And so the soldiers cut the ropes that held the lifeboat and let it drift away. There are some storms in life which are simply too strong for any earthly anchor to hold. The anchor of other people, the anchor of your own resolve, I can do this, I can try better. The anchor of your your bank account, medical care, whatever it is. Unless it is the anchor of the living God, we cannot be saved. So let's fasten ourselves to him. Trust in the living God, his strength, not our own. And did you notice that as the Apostle Paul anchors himself to the living God, so he becomes an anchor to others in the storm. And he's the one standing up here, isn't he? Speaking to all 276 people on board, saying it's all going to be okay. And Paul appears calm and collected, has this composure under extreme stress and pressure, encourages them to eat in verse 33. Very simple. Breaks bread with them, verse 34. We read in verse 36 that they were all encouraged. Because of what Paul has done for them. Paul is no super spiritual, superhero, super Christian, okay? He is weak, he is frail, he is sinful. It is only as he attaches himself, anchors himself to the Lord Jesus Christ, sees the strength from outside himself, the spirit working in him and through him, that's where the poise, the steadfastness comes. And you can be that anchor too to other people as you anchor to the Lord Jesus and the living God. I've said before I became a Christian when I was at university, I might not have shared with you that one of the turning points for me, moving from being very antagonistic towards Christianity, Jesus, the church, and actually being more open to it, was meeting someone who not only described herself as a Christian, but it demonstrably made a difference to her life in a very attractive way. The poise that she had 
under the peer pressure of the other students, you know, encouraging her to get involved with you know, what we were all doing, and her just calmly saying no. The way she seemed to have this sense of inner peace and, and inner calm when others were losing their heads and panicking when it came to revision time and exam season. Now, she was quick to say to me, look, Mark, this is not me. I'm quite a weak person, actually, by nature. Quite a shy person. Get quite nervous. This is something that the Lord has worked in me. It's something the Spirit gives me strength to do. And it's a strength that you can have as well, you know, if you trust in the Lord Jesus. I didn't become a Christian there and then, but it, was, it had a profound effect on me, seeing her anchor to the Lord and the anchor that it could be to me. As we anchor ourselves to the living God, so we can become an anchor to others amidst extreme difficulty, crisis, stress. But the final thing to see from this passage is that God doesn't just promise us, promise to be an anchor in the storm. He also promises to ultimately deliver from the storm. So this is from verse 39 of chapter 27 through to chapter 28, verse 11. Look down with me. I'll pick it up in verse 42. The soldiers plan to kill the prisoners to prevent any of them from swimming away and escaping. But the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life and kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and get to land. The rest were to get there on planks or on other pieces of the ship. In this way, everyone reached land safely. In this way, everyone reached land safely. Maybe you wouldn't expect it that way. Why didn't God just calm the storm? He's perfectly able to do that. But it had to be through this way. This ferocious storm. Through bringing people to the end of themselves. Through a shipwreck. Through the ship running aground. Through this failed plan of the soldiers to kill the prisoners. But then the centurion likes Paul and says no. And so some of them swim to shore. And some of them get planks of wood to shore. But in the end, not one single person is lost. All 276 people are delivered from this storm. Just as the living God promised and not just delivered from this storm but I mean poor old Paul like he finally gets to land in Malta and he's unbitten by this poisonous snake I mean for those of you who've been joining us throughout the series in Acts my goodness the things that Paul has to go through arrested beaten flogged imprisoned left languishing in in jail for two years all alone finally he's on this voyage to Rome. Okay, great. Now I'm on my way. Storm, shipwreck, near-death experience, gets on the sands of Malta, now a snake bite. I mean, I don't know if you sometimes feel that life is just bouncing from one crisis to one disaster, one crisis to one disaster. So it is for the Apostle Paul. You are not alone. This is what life can be like. Life is hard. Life is difficult. And yet even here, God graciously delivers him from the snake and then through this he gets welcomed to the chief official's house, um, heals the guy's father. And then we read verse 9. When this happened, the rest of those on the island who were ill came and were cured too. (laughs) So God just cures all the sick on this island. Now look, I'm conscious that at this point there may be some of you here who have lost friends, family, loved ones to the COVID crisis and there was no deliverance from them, for them. It could be that Uh, Some of you have lost your job or you're potentially going to be evicted from your flat 
because you know, rents are rising because of the cost of living crisis and there doesn't seem to be any deliverance for you. Another conversation I had week before last, someone a very serious mental co- condition being diagnosed and revealed and the prognosis for this person is not good at all. And so if, you, if, if that's what's happening to you right now, you could see this passage here in the verse. But is it really true today for me? I mean, does God really deliver us from the storms of life today? Because it certainly does not feel like that for me right now. And if that is you, let's be absolutely clear that God has made a very specific promise to Paul here. That he would testify to Jesus Christ in Rome because of his unique role as an evangelist to the Gentiles. And that is why he's been delivered from the shipwreck, that's why he's been delivered from the snake bite, because of this promise to him. And we don't have a promise like that. But I tell you what a promise each and every one of us here has, whether you call yourself Christian or not. The promise of the forgiveness of sins if you put your faith in Jesus Christ. And the promise of the Holy Spirit and God's presence with you throughout life if you trust in him. And then ultimately, a deliverance from death itself on Christ's return and the renewal of all things. You do have that. And God calls us to put faith in this truth, this promise, that it will happen just as he's told us. In 1870, Horatio Gates Spafford lost his only son Horatio Jr. to scarlet fever at the tender age of just four years old. Then less than a year later, the great fire of Chicago destroyed nearly all of his real estate investments. So a vast portion of his life savings were gone in a matter of hours. Then, about two years after that, the Spaffords decided to take an extended vacation to England. However, Horatio ended up being delayed a couple of weeks because of some business obligations, so he decided to send the rest of the family forward um, ahead of him. And he said he would join them as soon as he could. But as his wife, Anna, and their four daughters were on the ship that was taking them across the Atlantic Ocean to England, the ship collided with another ship and sank in just 12 minutes. His wife, Anna, managed to survive, but the four daughters did not. Horatio learns the news later through a telegram, just two words on it. It read, saved alone, from his wife, Anna. Immediately upon receiving the telegram, Horatio began his journey to England in order to grieve with his wife. And as he passed over the very part of the ocean where his four daughters had drowned, he went to his cabin and he penned these words. See if you recognize them. When peace, like a river, attendeth my way when sorrows like sea billows roll. Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Now, I I don't know what you make of those words, whether you think, oh my goodness, how on earth can you write something like that after everything is this most unimaginable of situations? But this is the sort of deliverance we're talking about if you're trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. Your sins are forgiven. Your relationship with God is restored. You have his presence with you every second of every day by the Holy Spirit. And one day, you'll be delivered from death. You'll see him again. 
and all loved ones trusting in the Lord Jesus at the renewal of all things. So take courage, men and women. It is well with our souls. Let's keep living for Jesus Christ and let's keep sharing him with others in the week ahead. Let me pray that for us now. Let's pray. Father God, we thank and praise you for this incredible story, this life-threatening situation, the way you bring everyone on board to the end of themselves, but then give that reassurance through Paul to not be afraid that you've got a purpose for Paul in Rome and you're going to save everyone on board. I want to thank and praise you, Father, for the anchor that Jesus Christ is to us. The offer of sins forgiven, the gift of the Spirit, that ultimate deliverance from death to come. Please would you reassure our hearts of the truth of that promise to us personally that we would be able to say from our hearts, it is well with my soul. And as we anchor ourselves to Jesus Christ, so may you use us, please, Lord, in the week ahead to be an anchor to others that they may know the Lord Jesus Christ too. And we ask it for his name's sake. Amen. Oh,